Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Some Big 12 quarterback news and also a realignment reality check-in coming up on today's Big 12 Watch. I am your host, Josh Neighbors. This is the Big 12 Watch on Crystal Ball College Football. We are part of the 365 Sports Network. You all can find us wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube as well. Uh, Make sure if you all find us in those podcast places, five stars, please, and also leave your comments. If you guys find us on X at Josh Neighbors underscore, at NWPod365. You guys can find my Big 12 best bets for football and basketball. 53% is profitable, I believe. So we were 54% on the year for football. So uh, we were profitable, and we're off to a 3-1 and start in Big 12 hoops best bets. You guys can find those at Josh Neighbors underscore, at NWPod365. You guys can also... Find this show here on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, uh, please like the video and subscribe to the channel. We're on our way now to 19 or 19, 13,000 uh, subscribers. We're at 12.5 right now. So every sub helps. You all can help us in subscribe in those places. That is great. So National Signing Day is tomorrow uh, on Wednesday. I will be traveling on a Wednesday, I'm going from Arkansas, where I work, to Virginia back home for Christmas. I have not been in 10 months uh, back to Virginia, so I will be going there. Uh, so I'll have an episode from last week about Cincinnati and what they need to do this offseason. Um, that will be coming up. But we'll have some reaction from National Signing Day because a lot of it coincides with the portal. It's an exciting time. It also shows the issues with the CFP calendar. It screws the bowls, all of those things. But I will say this, like one big question I had last week is in the last couple weeks is big 12 quarterback situations for 2024. Because if you look at the big 12, um, you know, big 12 standings in 2024 and you think about, okay, who needs a quarter of the big 12 in general? I mean, going into 2024, think about, all right, what does, you know, who needs a quarterback? Um, You know, even some of the teams at the top of the league, need a quarterback. If you think about this year, Oklahoma state, like they're going to try to figure out what's going on with Alan Bowman's eligibility. Do they get one more year? But sometimes you can't always bank on getting that. So it's going to be one of the guys they have there right now. West Virginia's got Garrett green. Iowa state's got Rocco back. Kansas state's got Avery Johnson, Texas tech, Baron Morton, uh, Kansas hopes Jalen Daniels, obviously UCF has got a decision to make a quarterback. I know they're in pursuit of somebody we'll talk about in a second. TCU is going to have a choice to make. Josh Hoover is there. We heard Chandler Morris is transferring out. What is BYU going to do? Baylor's got their guy now, it sounds like. 
Does Houston know who they want to roll with? Uh, is it going to be Donovan Smith? And Cincinnati gets Braden Soresby out of the portal. You've also got Arizona with Noah Fafita. You've got Utah with Cam Rising. And you've got Colorado, uh, Arizona State, we think Jaden Rashada, Colorado with Shador Sanders. We got some big news for one of the positions. Baylor was a big time uh, thought because obviously Dave Aranda very much on the hot seat in 2024. Well, they found their answer in the form of Toledo's Daquan Finn. De- uh, Daquan Finn was the player of the year this year. Uh, they were 11 and one at a, a tremendous season. And he's quite a talent. Like he is a guy that I believe he's got one more year. Yeah. So he's been in the college ball since 19, 20. Uh, I believe red shirt in there too. And then played three seasons, 63 touchdowns. I'm using my, um, my notes, 63 touchdowns, 23 INTs. He ran for 1800 yards, 25 touchdowns. He is a really good runner. Uh, he stands in six two two oh five. So, They've got their guy, uh, and there was a lot of conversation. But hey, would it be Robertson? Uh, you know, will he be a guy? I mean, he probably ends up being the backup here. We'll see what he does. But um, Baylor needs to do something next year. It's a situation where hey, they think Sawyer might end up being good, but they've got to make something happen in 2024. And so, because of that, you can't trust a guy that you feel like is not developed. You see us a lot, man. I mean, look what's happening right now at USC. The heat is on Lincoln Riley. Um, I think he's a really good coach, but like he's hitting the ceiling, he's hitting his head against the ceiling because he can't coach defense. But the thing about, about USC next year is if they went with the five-star Malachi Nelson, they would have had to develop Malachi Nelson. He's not played. So they're going to go with Will Howard, who I think is really good, a known quantity, proven commodity, and they're going to go in that direction. Not that I disagree with them doing that at all. Just something we have to acknowledge here about, you know, like about what where we're headed. It's going to cause a bunch of guys to go into the portal. I mean, we've seen a lot of highly recruited uh, quarterbacks in the portal as of late. I mean, you're seeing, you know, like, like the top quarterbacks, if you look at the 24-7 sports quarterback um, rankings, a lot of the guys they have right now at the top of their rankings are young portal guys who have not played a whole lot. You're not getting, you're getting Aiden Childs as their number one player, right? Or number one quarterback, rather, in the portal by position as he's going now to, uh, to Michigan State, right? You've got Dante Moore, who is up and down, but still, a se- you know, he's going to be a second year guy who's up there towards the top. Brock Vandergriff is a guy who's up towards the top as well. So, uh, you know, you got all of these young players. I'm going to double check here to see. Childs Moore, uh, Malik Murphy hasn't played a whole lot. Malachi Nelson, Vandergriff. Uh, and there's obviously the older guys too, but there's a lot of these younger guys that are in there and they're towards the top, mostly because they haven't been downgraded yet because they haven't played at all, but they were high recruits. They haven't really lost too much steam in that category. So I think that's very interesting to look at, at those guys and, and see, you know, these top guys. And so you're seeing situations like, well, we like, we might like Sawyer Robertson, maybe like Will Howard, he eventually gets good, right? Will Howard needed time to get good. And, uh, but we can't take that risk because we have a, you know, a bunch of change in the offensive staff. If you're Baylor and you've got a new offensive coordinator and Jake Spavadol coming in, you've got Dave Aranda who's desperate to win games. And so Daquan Finn, I think gives him a better chance to win games than a guy like a Sawyer Robertson does. Um, and I think that's a case in some other places too. 
The other guy that we are hearing now is, and I told you all this, this would probably happen. KJ Jefferson would not enter the portal, but at least be tracked down by big 12 schools. KJ Jefferson from Arkansas is in the portal and he has got interest from UCF. He has got interest uh, uh, from TCU and he has got interest from Miami. I think all of those are interesting spots. I would like to, the, the coach I would most like him to be paired up with is Gus Malzahn. The, um, the situation I think is the best for him would be Kendall Bryles because they've got familiarity and rapport. And we've seen in the case of guys like Dylan Gabriel returning to the familiar has its benefits. Uh, it really does have its benefits uh, to returning to a guy that, you know, returning to a system that, you know, very much does have its benefits. And so you're seeing that uh, kind of transpire right now for, uh, you know, for some guys out there. And so I think it's a really interesting conversation. I think the big thing for KJ is they've got to get his confidence back. He played behind it. I covered it. That's why I know a terrible offensive line this season here at Arkansas. Uh, he did not play well. It killed his confidence. And, uh, you know, he is a guy that I think he's, you know, like, don't make him make too many decisions. You know, I think it's kind of the way it is. And I guess I, I don't think he's like this really awesome thrower, but I think he's a good enough thrower. And it's a combination where you, hey, like, we get the ball out of the sides, you know, get the ball to your playmakers. Danny Doe's offense was far too complicated. It's not what you want with a guy like KJ Jefferson. And, and um, I'd be interested to see, you know, what Kendall Bryles likes to do. Like, they do a lot of runs off tackle and clean tackles, you know, kind of up the middle. Uh, and so using the quarterback more and some of that stuff would be interesting to see them do. Uh, you know, Gus Malzahn likes to do all kinds of goofy things. You never know what he's going to do. So I think having KJ's, you know, all of his, all of his uh, tricks in the bag would be interesting with a Gus Malzahn uh, as well. But I think that's a guy I could see in the big 12 because obviously he's from Mississippi, but uh, it does make sense with TCU. TCU had a down year. I think they think Josh Hoover might be good, but you know, I think if you, if Kendall Bryles had his druthers, I think he would take KJ because he knows he can coach up KJ pretty good. Arkansas last year was had a lot of offensive success. The issue for them was their defense. So I think Bryles would love to have a guy like a KJ in his second year at TCU. And I think Sonny Dykes would like to have a KJ Jefferson go to a TCU. So, uh, you know, the, the quarterback spots are starting to fill up just a bit in the Big 12. There is some movement there. But there's still some questions across the board. And there's still, I mean, ample amount of transfer quarterbacks. But I'm thinking about Oklahoma State. What do they do? Uh, I am thinking about a, obviously, UCF, TCU, BYU, Houston, and Cincinnati. So there's about four or five there left that got guys in the roster, got recruits coming in. I, I mean, if I'm Houston, I think I'm rolling with Donovan Smith. I think he's good enough. Um, he's not perfect, by far from perfect. But uh, I think he is good enough to to be a quality quarterback for them. We'll see what Willie Fritz wants to do um, in that direction. We'll see what Soresby does at Cincinnati. Obviously, he's going to go there, and it's an interesting fit. Baylor's not got their guys. So, yeah, I mean, the, the spots are filling up. But, you know, I, I think uh, next year is going to be a year where it's like, okay, how good is Avery Johnson? Uh, how good is DeGarrett Green take the next step? How does Rocco Beck look taking the next step? Does Baron Morton improve in the offseason? Is Jalen Daniels healthy enough to get things going for them? So, like, there's a lot of – there's quarterbacks – we just don't know if these guys are going to take the next step. And I, I mean, for like West Virginia, it's like, hey, you won eight games this year. But, you know, if you're playing some better teams next year, are you beating those good teams? Can you go eight and four again? Will Garrett Green elevate his game? A great deep ball thrower. 
uh, not great intermediate, but the guy, you know, who just really came on late in the year and they were a really good team because of that. What does that look like? So a lot of questions for quarterbacks, but some big names in the portal could be heading. You know, Grayson McCall was one that I would love to see, love to see, lo- love to see at UCF. They miss out. Obviously, they're not happy with their situation right now so because they've been shopping around in the portal. So I think uh, they'll make the hard push for KJ. I think TCU could. I do think UCF needs it but worse than TCU. I don't think Josh Hoover is that bad. Um, once again, though, might take some patience to get him to where you want him to be. So eyes on the portal, folks. Eyes on the portal. All right. Also, I also want to note this, too. You know, Somebody made a comment about Austin Novosad. Uh, going to Oregon, and it's it's a good point. It's a very good point about Austin Novoseb. Uh, you know, it's a guy who flipped from Baylor to Oregon, and then they've got Ty Richardson, I believe his name. They also brought in Dylan Gabriel, and they're also going to bring in Dante Moore. So, like, it just you know, the people will just trade up on you, man. People will trade up on you. Uh, there's no loyalty to you, you know, and that's why people get so mad about the sports bow. But think about Austin Novoseb, guys. Think about Austin, high recruit, went to Oregon, and they're like, oh, sorry, we're putting guys in front of you. We're going to stack guys in front of you. So it's a game where you got to look out for yourself a lot of the time. All right, I wanted to do a conference realignment reality check. And the reason why I wanted to do this is because as we approach the offseason, the realignment chatter will begin to heat up even more than it has right now. And I know people are talking about this. But a couple things we have to keep in mind. When it comes to me and my thoughts, on the old conference realignment situation and how and how you talk about it. Uh, first, about like this show. I am not a reporter. I did not claim to be a reporter. I did go to some journalism school. Um, and I like to think that, you know, on this show, despite that, like we talk about some stuff, but we always put it in context of what's actually happening. We've had guys like John Wilner on the show. We've had other reporters on the show. Andrew Marchand has been on this program and uh, talked with me before my, my last stop. I always try to give you all the best most recent, smartest information I can give you all, most accurate information I can give you all. Hope you all feel that way when you all check out this show. So with that, really honestly, like you should believe people that we've come to know are trustworthy. Ross Dellinger, Dennis Dodd, Stuart Mandel. Um, uh, who's a guy, or um, he's a little, you know, he, he can be, he's a Pac-12 guy, but his reporting is pretty good. Max Olson, Shahan J. Araja, uh, Nicole Auerbach, you know, all of those folks are ones I feel like we can we can trust pretty well. And the reason why I trust those folks is because they're journalists. They've been doing it for a while. But also, they put their names on their work. And that's the one dangerous thing when you're on realignment, uh, you know, looking at realignment stuff on Twitter or whatever. A lot of people out there that don't actually have their names on their work. And talk about what they're hearing and what they're you know, what's being out there. Like, guys, I'm going to tell you all what I'm thinking, but I'm going to use people's reporting and then kind of use the context clues around it. The Pac-12 thing, and I remember talking with Spencer McLaughlin, he's like, I don't, I don't think there's any chance the Pac-12 breaks up. And I didn't think it was just because I'm some Big 12 homer. I thought I was like, well, it's a weird spot because the Big 12 beat you to the market, right, with a TV contract. And now the clock's running out on you. And now you're balancing exposure and you're balancing that against, um, you, know, t- you know, TV and whatnot. And the spot Larry Scott puts you in the debt right there and the gaps to other conferences and the fact that you thought you should get Big 10 money. I was like, this is all heading in a bad direction. Um, and my big sticking point was this, you're going to have to take less money than the big 12 guaranteed. You might get more if subs are in the right spot, but if you're talking about $30 million per year per school and, uh, you know, you're taking 20 guaranteed, well, 
that's a $10 million gap. And you don't know if you're going to make it up with subscription numbers. If you get a bonus for that, you don't, you just don't know. That's too much as a third of your budget. It's too much money in my opinion to risk, right? To not, to not have for sure. So that's why I thought ultimately, ultimately they would, uh, big, you know, the PAC 12 would break up and look, they almost saved it, but it did because the, the big 10 came calling to Oregon and Washington and they made the move. And, uh, you know, also at that too, I mean, the, the other schools made the move to the PAC 12 Colorado heard that coming. And I think because of that too, folks, there's been so much realignment recently that people just kind of want more, more, and more. And it feels like everything in college football is changing. So I want everything just change at once. And that's just not how it works, especially when contracts are involved. The CFP is going to 12 teams. Yes. So that's changing. And NIL is changing. Yes. Transfer portal stuff is changing. Yes. But as far as like the ACC goes, the next big domino to fall, you got a 10 plus year TV contract. And them breaking it is going to be contingent on eight teams having homes and voting their way out or somebody paying a large sum of money. But nobody yet has described to me, anybody I've, I've read out there, has described to me a way for these schools to get out of the ACC. I have not seen a way in which they've been able to do that. And so when you consider that, you need to be honest to me. And like, we all wish more reliant would happen now. That's why when I did my show the other day, hey, who are the most likely expansion candidates for the Big 12, I'll show you all my list. This is what I had up for the most likely candidates. I had Gonzaga because it's been reported and talked about, UConn because it's been talked about. Then I said, there's a big line between Pitt, Louisville, and Virginia Tech and the other schools because this would mean the ACC broke up and that would need something drastic to happen to make that happen. And there's nothing indicating something drastic is imminent or going to happen. And nobody has presented the way in which it could happen. And so that's why I've said, hey, guys, like the Big 12 is not going to get Florida State, Clemson, and Miami. People are talking about like that's possible. If they did, my God, I mean, I will say I'm wrong to the, you know, to the very end. But how does that work? Like those schools, the issue that they're having is they're concerned about the revenue gap between them and the other leagues, the really big leagues, the Big Ten, the SEC. Why would they leave the ACC to go take a go take a contract similar to the one they're currently on? It's more money, but it's not it's not big enough to go and leave. It's not, in my opinion, at least. So why would they do it? It doesn't make any sense. Florida State's worried about maintaining their their competitive level with Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and Florida and Georgia, all of those schools. That's who their LSU, right? And they're competitive. What they mean by competitive is money, because right now they are competitive but they want the respect and they also want the TV dollars that they would get from those places. That's why we've heard things about Florida state exploring the idea of going into private equity and teaming up with some folks in the private equity world about, Hey, how could we make this work to where you all, you all come on board in some way, shape or form and try to get this. And it might work for one team, but like, Hey, you all help us pay a buyout and we give you future revenues and whatever. But like, it's, that's a hard thing to manage and they have to find a way to get that done. And I just don't know. That ACC contract protects the schools in some senses, but it hurts the top dogs in other. It's great for Wake Forest. It's great for Syracuse. It's great for Boston College, but nobody really wants them outside of that. Um, it's tough for your competitors like Florida State and Clemson, right, who want to compete at the highest level and have competed at the highest level. But that gap is wide. Now, we're seeing talent be spread out more often. The I just saw this year ten uh, the 10 top 10 players in the 24-7 recruiting arrivals uh, recruiting rankings are all going to different schools. It's the uh, first time it's happened in a long time, maybe ever, um, but it's been a while. 
So that is good news. And there is a spread out of, of talent like that. But I bet you a lot of those schools are in the power two conferences that we've talked about, right? So the, the Big 12 and the ACC are not really a fight for like, they're in a yeah, competition for third. Yes, sure. But like, what does that competition look like? The ACC is so dialed in and locked into their contract that it's going to be about success in the field, which is going to come down to, which you want it to, right? We're talking about money and whatnot. The ACC, like, I don't know how that contract breaks. Somebody's got to figure out a way to do it. I have not seen how it does it yet. Um, and nobody I've trusted has reported the way out of that yet. And it's been talked about now for a while and nobody's actually produced that yet. We have to think about that. Because I saw something on Twitter and I'm not going to say who it's from, from a person who has not put their name on, on their tweets, like their actual name, saying that they saw that TKO, the WWE UFC holdings group, might get involved and facilitate an ACC, SC, uh, ACC Big 12 pack merger. Um, the guy also admitted he's, you know, he's not much of a UFC WWE guy. Said that there'd be another private equity firm involved. Guys, that that to me, I mean, it just like think about it for a while. It doesn't make much sense. The the, the Big Twelve does partner with Endeavor, the parent company of, of TKO. It holds TKO Group. Um, they've consulted with them. They had the WWE obviously at at the Big Twelve Championship game, but like that was just kind of a crossover branding type deal. Uh, the idea that TKO would invest in the big 12, like would be really strange. Like, would you just let, I mean, are they going to buy into the league and you're going to let them make the TV contract decisions later on and let them recoup it? Like they're a privately, they're a publicly held company. You know, uh, that's, that's you know, like Disney is this diversified thing. So them investing in college sports and whatnot, like is, you know, it's huge, but also they have Marvel and star Wars and all this kind of stuff, right? For TKO, like they could diversify. Sure. But like, you're, but the big 12 isn't a company per se. Uh, if you give an influx of cash, like you're just funding for a merger too, what are you funding? You're funding these teams like cross country trips and trying to make these de athletic departments more relevant. And where does the money come back to you? Also, the TV contracts are already sorted out. So you might say, well, we're going to invest in these big 12 schools. And then when the contracts off in 2030, it'll be awesome. Great. But like, how does that work when the ACC is already under contract? How does that work when the ACC is already under contract till 2036? You can't, that, that doesn't seem to work there. Like, where is the ROI here for that? I do not understand where the ROI is going to come in. And also I saw, they said, oh, well, you know, it could build a pipeline for them. And talk about international TV and whatnot. Guys, I, I don't think there's a ton of appetite for TCU, Oklahoma State overseas. I, honestly, like, there's not a ton, there's not a huge market for college football overseas at this point in time. The NFL is kind of the big dog when it comes to overseas football and things of that nature. Um, so, so, you know, like I, I think that, you know, that idea is just kind of, I'm not sure the big 12 needs. It. I mean, overseas expansion, great, you know, and visibility is great, but what does it actually meaningfully mean? And somebody said, Oh, it builds a pipeline for UFC and WWE guys. They don't need football players. Like they get enough football players. You know, that's not, you know, for them to be like, Vince McMahon, you know, does not need, well, he's not really running the company anymore. WWE has plenty of ex-football players, Bill Goldberg, uh, Roman Reigns, uh, you know, like guys like that, you know, uh, I think Omos played, uh, current guy, Omos, you know, played football. There's a bunch of guys who are former football players. Uh, Brock Lesnar played football. Gable Stevenson's a wrestler. Brock was a Lester, uh, wrestler too. But like, they don't need, they don't need any connections to make sure guys like this come. Same thing for WWE or for UFC. They're an international brand, international company. They don't need big 12 wrestlers and, 
you know, they already get, they already track those guys as it is. They don't need a big connection with the big 12 to, to know about the value. Uh, I believe Missouri is back in the big 12 wrestling, you know, Tyron Woodley, Michael Chandler, Ben Askren, all fought in the UFC, right. Uh, and competed for championships. Tyron Woodley won a UFC championship. You don't need like, you don't need a partnership there to be like, Oh, uh, you know, UFC, like, you know, I know it's an option because they have a partnership with the Big 12. They don't need that, in my opinion, at least. They don't need that kind of reach to to build a pipeline. I don't think it's worth that investment. I don't think it's worth it for the, uh, for the you know, like for the shareholders too. I just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me when you try to talk about what is there to gain there. So like, you have to be careful about stuff like that. It's an interesting thought exercise and we'll talk about the ACC Big 12 merger, but we'll talk about how unlikely it is first. And the ways it doesn't make sense. Because there are more ways it doesn't make sense right now than it does make sense. We'll tackle all that at a later date. But I just, my 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 big thesis here, my big thing I want to point out to you all is we should be skeptical. Because I know we want stuff to happen. Look, it would make my life easier if it kept happening. But there's nothing concrete that people have been reporting on this for a while can report back to us about it. And we'll keep realignment updates coming. We'll do a ton of content in the offseason about it. I think there's a lot more concern for the future of the sport as a whole than there is you know, like once again, they are related, but I just think, I think folks are kind of looking at the big picture right now uh, about this. Look, if there's more movement on it, we will talk about it, but I'm I just be skeptical as I'm saying, be, be skeptical, be thoughtful because uh, I don't you know, want folks out there to get duped and I'll make sure I do my best to make sure that we are using accurate information, having honest, good conversations. All right, that will do it for today's show. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at NWPod365. Find me at Josh Neighbors underscore. Find the show where you get your podcast and on YouTube as well.